This is Bill Munhausen with another episode of What Makes Sense. There's a national teacher shortage. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, over 300,000 public school teachers have left their jobs since March 2020. If this is a continuing trend, everybody should be concerned about it, since parents in particular depend on public schools for child care as much as education. The role of child care provider may be more important to the economy than what children learn in school since child care allows both parents to work outside the home. I'll begin with an article describing why teachers are leaving their profession. Although the article claimed 12 reasons, those reasons can be distilled into just a few. At the end of this episode, I'll discuss what a Missouri Blue Ribbon panel suggests as solutions, and what they seem to be missing. So here are the reasons teachers say they quit teaching. Pay was one of the reasons. One teacher said, quote, one of my new co-workers is a former teacher. After 15 years of teaching high school biology, she decided to quit and change careers because she realized that the staff at Panera were getting paid more. This, of course, is an old issue, but not one that resulted in an exodus of teachers in years gone by. K-12 teachers have always been underpaid, but most teachers didn't enter the profession for the pay. In every generation, teaching has been a calling, and teachers have been willing to put up with low pay in order to pursue the calling. Another reason for women becoming teachers is it was a good job for a married woman to have for supplemental income. And yes, I understand that might sound sexist, but it remains a reality to this day. If a woman is married to a high-earning spouse, she has the freedom to do what she likes without regard to pay. One teacher quoted in the article actually described her job as an expensive hobby that she had the freedom to pursue because her husband had a good-paying job. Unfortunately, today's women can't look at teaching as a hobby because she might have to depend on her job for income if the marriage doesn't last. The proliferation of easy divorce has changed the employment landscape. I suppose it's natural in a materialistic society to think of money as the solution to most problems, but pay isn't the highest motivation for creative people. I've run a not-for-profit organization for over 20 years and haven't received a paycheck. From time to time, I think it's unfair. And as I get older, I realize my successor might need a paycheck, and I have to strategize toward that goal. However, the cause and purpose is a greater motivation than the monetary rewards. I'm not unique in this. Love him or hate him, Donald Trump did not run for president for the pay. Even corporations have altruistic tendencies. The Volvo company invented the modern automobile seatbelt and made the patent freely available because they cared more about safety than profit. Surveys of teachers who left public school reveal that teachers are frustrated in regard to their primary mission. They want to educate, but feel their creativity is stifled by the system's demands to do the job in a uniform way. And teachers don't believe that uniform way is always the best. They see opportunities to do the job better, but are unable to deviate from procedures. Another factor related to teacher dissatisfaction is that teaching can too easily attract unmotivated people. Teaching has always been a kind of safe choice for people who wanted a professional job without the educational rigor 
of professions in medicine or law and others that required the acquisition of more technical knowledge. The common perception is that anyone can become a public school teacher because education reflects such a broad range of knowledge from science to literature to physical education, literally something for everyone. One former teacher was candid about his lack of passion for the job, saying, quote, I left teaching when I realized I didn't care about the students. I never spent a dime of my own money for supplies. I was unprepared, had no mentor, and didn't seek one out, and had zero time for students who were unmotivated just like I was. I fully own all of this. Seriously, I was really bad at it, and I'm commenting here because unless something happens, it's teachers like me who are going to end up in the classroom, probably in the schools where they'll do the most damage, and without my good sense to get the hell out of it for everyone's sake, and that's pretty scary. End quote. I don't know how common such teachers are, but it's one of the issues related to setting a bar too low. People who aren't called to teach nevertheless enter the profession because it's an easy path. This teacher recognized that he had made a wrong choice and decided to leave, but others might simply hang on because it's easy. For such people, increasing teacher pay may have the unintended negative consequence of encouraging underachieving teachers to stick with it because of the pay. I say this as a preview to the solution section of the episode, because the intuitive solution of increasing pay to attract and retain teachers might, by itself, do more harm than good. A third important factor causing teachers to leave education can be summed up as stress. One former teacher said, quote, I don't want a job that requires active shooter drills anymore. It's not normal. The added pressure that my decision could mean life or death for my students is too much. I sometimes think I sound weak or dramatic saying this, but I just want to teach and create a positive environment, not make life and death decisions, end quote. We've come a long way in public schools since fire drills and even atomic bomb drills in the 1950s, which all seemed very abstract at the time. The fear of invading gunmen in public schools has been fueled by actual events and the associated morbid fascination of the news media. As a result, every school administration sees it as their responsibility to act out what might happen if a school campus is invaded by a shooter, and teachers and students must participate, rather than simulating an occurrence that has never been seen to happen, school shootings are in the news all too frequently, so the situation is traumatic. Who wants to work in such an environment? Disrespect is another stressor, as one former teacher explained, saying, quote, But more than the money, it was the disrespect and harassment from administration, and somewhat by parents. I'm glad I'm free, and I'm working to find jobs in my new field for my teacher friends. End quote. Now there's yet another wrinkle. Escapees are looking for ways to help their former inmates escape also. Yes, the reference to escapees and inmates was a bit of a prison illusion, and the administration can be likened to the warden and prison guards. Another person they interviewed opined, quote, My best friend is a third-grade teacher. Another very good friend is a teacher. 
All they have ever told me is how administration couldn't care less about them, and couldn't care less about the children, end quote. In many schools, administrators and staff actually outnumber teachers, are paid more than teachers, and that has implications beyond teacher salary. In professions like medicine, doctors have a high status that allows them equity with hospital administrators, and many doctors enjoy independent practices. This is not the case with K-12 teachers. Teachers are treated like minions. They are told what to teach, required to produce written lesson plans, and evaluated based upon performance criteria designed by those in charge. It's a lot like a corporate environment in which executives determine the goals and judge how well employees achieve them. Although that might work with factory workers, it's extremely dissatisfying for creative professionals. On second thought, it probably isn't even the best practice with factory workers, but you get my point. Another component of stress is a teacher's relationship with parents. One former teacher vented this, quote, Let me tell you more teacher friends that have left the profession had their last straw because of parents. They are awful, entitled, assume they know best when 99% of them don't have a degree in education, and almost always blame teachers for their kids' crappy behavior. I've never seen anything like it. Public education is just that, a free public service. There needs to be a major overhaul on how teachers, administrators, and parents have relationships. Because right now, everyone's so petrified of being called out on social media that they cave to every parent's whims. It's completely destroying teachers' abilities to do their jobs in peace. End quote. That quote covers a lot of territory. One issue is discipline. As a society, the kinds of discipline that might best correct a child have been thrown under the bus as child abuse. Stress is a difficult component to isolate because every discouraging factor for a teacher contributes to stress. One person responded, quote, I'm an occupational therapist at a public district, and yes, it's underfunding, yes, it's low pay, and yes, it's over-politicizing the career, end quote. However, the politicization of education deserves its own mention. Education has become political and it cuts both ways, politically left and right. One educator said, quote, I used to be a biology teacher too. I quit a long time ago because Republican politicians were passing laws requiring biology teachers to say that evolution isn't real. Evolution is real. We've known that for a very long time, end quote. Such is the perspective of a left-leaning educator, but conservative educators have similarly felt unsupported. A conservative teacher would complain that all they are allowed to teach is evolution because creation and intelligent design are considered by the public school polit political climate to be religious and therefore forbidden. As teaching becomes increasingly political, teachers are caught in the middle. The natural tendency for someone caught in the middle is to escape, leave the profession for a happier place. There was never anything controversial about reading, writing, and arithmetic, the foundational concepts of American education in years gone by. Even topics like social studies and history and science were immune to controversy 
when schools were focused on teaching the facts of history instead of interpretation. However, once education became a profession, local schools became more accountable to the educational hierarchy than it was to parents, local culture, and even teachers. We're talking about the rise of an administrative class, and with an administration came the growth of internal politics. Think about America's traditional one-room schoolhouse of years gone by before government tax revenue got involved. The one-room schoolhouse existed because small communities couldn't afford more. School teachers were something like individual entrepreneurs who sought out jobs in small towns. The teacher was the school, no principal or staff or custodians. Community leaders hired a teacher, and the teacher did everything with little interference as long as he or she pleased the employers. Undoubtedly, some small towns couldn't even afford the one-room schoolhouse, so they did without, a decidedly unfair and unfortunate result of too little local revenue. It would take considerable time and research to determine what changed in education, but there are always those people who want something better and imagine that the power of taxation might offer a more equitable way to make schooling available for everyone. As with every attempt at reform, there are unintended consequences. In the case of schooling, an increase in revenue proved to be both a blessing and a curse. The money allowed communities to build bigger schools to accommodate more students, requiring more teachers. It was natural to apply the lessons of factory assembly lines to create efficiency by having teachers specialize in various subjects and age groups. And the increased number of teachers required a management staff and administrative class to organize them. Organizing seemed like a good thing, but that simple change had profound consequences. Where teachers were once free to do what they wanted, they now had to answer to the administrators looking over their shoulders. There was a tension in that relationship, just as there is with factory workers who have to produce a specific quota of production every day. In the last few decades, the tension has reached a boiling point, as administrators increasingly see themselves as education professionals coming out of the universities to transform schools into tools of social engineering. The turning of public education toward leftist philosophy and politics is well documented for anyone who wants to know. Fortunately, our government is coming to the rescue. Please read into that sentence the appropriate level of sarcasm. It's not that I don't approve of rightful government, but I am skeptical that elected officials can understand the sheer volume of issues they consider and legislate about. Perhaps in consideration of this shortcoming, they convened a Missouri Blue Ribbon Commission of supposed experts to consider the teacher shortage. Since these were mostly education system insiders, it's not surprising that their recommendations completely miss the institutional failures. Instead, they focused on ways to attract new teachers through higher starting pay, incentives for taking on more responsibilities, bonuses, and scholarships to work in high-needs areas. Their only recommendation that remotely addresses teacher stress was, quote, additional mental health services for educators, unquote. Perhaps they think you must be crazy if you don't love working in our schools. Oops, there's that sarcasm again. 
I said earlier that the intuitive solution of increasing pay to attract and retain teachers might by itself do more harm than good. If teachers are stressed, politically divided, disrespected, and unmotivated, an increase in pay only serves to keep dissatisfied teachers hanging on. Analysts of a University of Missouri study on teacher stress recommended coping mechanisms, an equally ineffective solution. Coping is too much like learning how to put up with it. A rational approach is to remove the sources of stress. If teachers feel disrespected by administrators, reduce the administrative burden. If teachers are negatively affected by the politicization of educational content, make the content less political. If teachers felt like they are in the wrong profession, let them leave. The real solution is simple but difficult. Return the goal of education to focus on facts and skills, education instead of indoctrination. It's simple because the solution is to strip away every standard and process that deviates from the mission. The best way to accomplish these goals is to cut the cord from the administrative agencies that burden local schools. Those would be the federal and state departments of education. What makes this difficult, on the other hand, is that the administrative class is completely dedicated to the social engineering goals of the current educational system, and these are the people at the top of the food chain of the public school hierarchy. They won't go away without a fight, and they are backed by powerful lobbies to influence elected officials. Unfortunately, the myriad rules related to public schooling have been codified in the Missouri State Constitution, including the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, commonly called DESI. Instead of serving a simple administrative role, DESI mandates the standards flowing out of academia, many of which are theoretical and experimental rather than practical. Those standards turn local schools into test subjects and force teachers to participate without real input while also creating an administrative burden to quantify the results. As I compose this message in August 2023, DESI is proposing to codify in its standards the inclusion of social-emotional learning, SEL, regarding student mental health beginning with a public comment period. In typical fashion, SEL uses a lot of good-sounding words, but here are some specific problems. First, the emotional well-being of a child has always been the role of parents rather than government. Government schools shouldn't intrude on parental authority. Second, public school administrators and teachers aren't trained psychologists, psychiatrists, or counselors, and shouldn't be expected to properly administrate social and emotional learning. Such issues have always been the responsibility of counseling professionals and not government schools. Finally, social-emotional learning includes various Trojan horse components. Desi says on their website that SEL includes, quote, fair, equitable, and just treatment of others, unquote, and then pivots to advocacy for others as individuals and communities. What communities are children to advocate? This idea of communities evokes the Marxist idea of class conflict, which isn't an American tradition. We are a nation of individualists whose citizens believe the individual can rise above any class distinction 
SEL emphasizes class consciousness and class conflict. I went ahead and entered my public comments, but I don't expect a positive result because SEL is written from a secular humanist perspective. There is no mention of the spiritual needs of the child because SEL's authors have no knowledge of such things. And the government concept would prohibit it anyway due to their mistaken notions about separation of church and state. I believe the only option that is for schools to separate from DESI and that such separation can only be accomplished through strong leadership by the governor and legislature. Because DESI is embedded in the Constitution, a constitutional amendment would be necessary, and the best bet for limiting DESI would be through a ballot initiative from the legislature. Because the legislature is dominated by relatively conservative Republicans, and Missouri will have a new, likely Republican governor in a year, the time will be right for such an amendment to be championed by the Republican majority. Eliminating or eliminating DESE would return control of content and standards back to locally controlled school boards where it belongs. However, it isn't necessary to wait for legislative action. Another approach to changing the paradigm is alternative education. The state of Oklahoma recently allowed charter schools to be religious and exempt from conforming to state standards. Forty-five states have charter school laws that have prohibited charter schools from being affiliated with religious institutions. What happened in Oklahoma is the state attorney general declared the prohibition against religious institutions to be a violation of the U.S. Constitution's Free Exercise Clause, which implies that all states prohibiting religious affiliation are in violation. Embedded in the decision is the question of whether a school represents the government as a, quote, state actor, unquote. Because charter schools are privately owned, they are not state actors and are exempt from following state standards. Attorney General John O'Connor summed it up by saying, the state cannot enlist private organizations to promote a diversity of educational choices and then decide that any and every kind of religion is the wrong kind of diversity. That is not how the First Amendment works. Another kind of alternative education that allows families to avoid state mandates and simultaneously moves the bar toward public education reform is homeschooling. Although it's not everyone's cup of tea because of the sacrifices involved, the number of households involved in homeschooling doubled during the COVID years and continues to increase. Decades ago, homeschooling was a lonely choice for only the most radical advocates of liberty. But the movement has evolved toward a hybrid situation as homeschoolers unite for mutual support. Many, perhaps most, homeschool families can now join cooperatives that merge homeschool-based learning with school environments. For example, Pearls of Wisdom Academy in Springfield supplies curriculum for homeschoolers and a school setting once or twice a week to both guide use of the curriculum and provide a break for parents from teaching. By integrating school with homeschool, co-ops provide structure and confidence for parents who might otherwise worry that they aren't teaching adequately. This is, in a sense, what public school should look like, where many schooling options are made available and parents choose which they prefer. 
schooling shouldn't be one size fits all, as it is in public education, and teachers are benefiting by having the freedom to teach in their preferred environment. Those, therefore, are three strategies converging toward a more satisfying future for teachers. What makes them work is de-emphasizing the administrative burden of public schools and allowing both teachers and parents to choose the type of school they prefer, thereby reducing ideological conflicts. This shouldn't be an ideological or partisan issue because no reasonable person should oppose the idea of giving people options. The ones who will oppose are those who want to use the current public education structure to force their ideologies on others. I'll conclude this episode with an actual testimony from a teacher who left the teaching profession. Question. Why would a teacher who loves teaching quit her job? Answer. When her job is no longer about teaching. I taught my students that if they worked hard and accepted responsibility for their actions, they would succeed, that their race didn't define them, that they should respect the police, that there are only two sexes, that communism leads to misery. But in the last few years, they were hearing something different in their other classes, that their race was their destiny, that the police were out to get them, that their sexual identity is a personal choice that socialism is compassionate, communism isn't so bad, and capitalism is cruel. Many of my students, especially the ones who had recently come to America, rejected these depressing lessons. They knew what they had fled. They wanted to embrace their new country and its values. But other students completely bought into it. I needed to know why. So I dove into the school's ethnic studies curriculum, the source of so many toxic ideas. I found classroom activities such as a privilege quiz where students would compare and contrast their gender, race, class, and sexual orientation with those of their classmates. I found another exercise which involved conducting a mock trial to charge various persons implicated in genocide against Native Californians in order to create a social justice counter-narrative. None of this should be surprising because the guiding principle of the curriculum was to critique white supremacy racism, anti-blackness, patriarchy, capitalism, and other forms of power and oppression. And in case you think this is just one school, passing an ethnic studies class will soon be mandatory for high school graduation throughout the state of California, and it doesn't stop at students. Teachers who reject these radical ideas, especially teachers with the wrong skin color, risk being labeled racist or white supremacist, putting their jobs and careers on the line. In June 2020, I addressed the Salinas School Board. I told them that allowing critical race theory and Black Lives Matter indoctrination in the classroom is unbalanced, too political, and will only do harm. In response, the board president, a professor of ethnic studies at a local college, called me anti-people of color. I am people of color. I'm half Jamaican. In fact, before the board meeting, the district had sent me a gift just for being Black, a mask bearing the message, Black Educators Matter, an I Love Being Black sticker, and an African greeting that acknowledged the God in me. An obsession with race and gender has taken root in our educational system. It's the weed that's rapidly overtaking the garden. I'm Kali Fontania, founder of Exodus Institute for Prager University. 
Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good.